Good morning. Kids these days have life so much easier than I ever did, and they don't even know it. And I bet many of you can relate to the really painful days of old in which if you were the youngest and the TV picture was not coming in very clearly, you did not get to watch the TV but became the antenna. Anyone know that pain? When the picture's a little fuzzy and a little vague, somebody had to stand there in just the right awkward position, balancing something on their head to get the picture to come in, and then they had to remain that way for the duration of the entire show, or you would lose the very thing you're trying to see. So you're trying to crane your neck and stand and balance, and if you fidgeted in the slightest, everybody lost it, and you were the problem, not the TV and the reception and the antenna at hand. Kids these days are spoiled. If they lose the internet for a split second, that's fine. They have cellular service. Except if you have AT&T, then maybe not this week. (laughs) Oftentimes when we come before the Lord and when we pray, maybe you're like me. And it feels like there's something not connecting. Like the signal is somewhere across. We ask God for direction and everything we get back is just static. We want to know where do we go next or what do we do in this time or maybe we're in the midst of a crisis and we're desperate. God, will you come in this moment and do what only you can do? And yet it seems the best we get is static or partial pictures and we're left wondering, is it me? What's wrong? As a church, we've been going through a practice that is... Uh, One of the oldest spiritual disciplines on record, dating all the way back to Moses, the earliest uh, mention of fasting. Moses was a man of God who often fasted and even was commanded to tell the people one day a year, everyone should fast. And we live in a culture that has such an abundance of food that fasting feels almost uh, impossible. Like, you know, if you go a few hours without eating, you will probably die. Did you know that? It's a fact. I I promise. Actually, you probably won't. But we are so inundated with food as our norm that most of us, barring some medical reasons why perhaps in this season you should not fast, most of us could go a little while without eating, so we try to find other alternatives. Instead of fasting, we say, well, what if I just practice abstinence and I don't have any sugar, but I eat all the other stuff? That's fasting, right? But this ancient practice of fasting that has for millennia shaped the faith of people like you and me is about giving up food because in the giving up of food, we discover more of who God is. And in the giving up of food, we offer ourselves to him and become hungry. And you can fast where you're hungry and all you think about is food. Anybody try fasting these last two weeks and you thought a lot about food? It's okay if you did because our brains have been wired to think we need food all the time. It's okay if you think about food when you're fasting. But sometimes when we fast, we just think about food and we forget the point of fasting. See, fasting is not just so we can be hungry for the sake of starvation's sake. It's about learning to offer ourselves to God, to say, God, right now in my hunger, in my most vulnerable place, in my pain, in my hurt, I want to draw near to you. 
I want to experience who you are and what you say and what you do, and I want to give you all of who I am. And when we fast, there's a couple different ways in which we do it. Sometimes we can choose to create a rhythm of fasting where it becomes a regular part of our life. So, for example, for most of the last 2,000 years, every Wednesday, the entirety of the Christian faith fasted from sunup until sundown. And for most of that time, even also on Friday. And it was just expected that when Wednesday came around, nobody ate. You don't do that. Unless you have to because you're pregnant or you're sick or some medical reason where you really shouldn't go without fasting. It was the norm in the culture of the church. Believing the power of fasting was so important. And as we offer ourselves to God, what we discover in that process is that there is a lot deep within that is ungodly. Anybody try fasting in the last two weeks and you discovered everything made you grumpy? I didn't know what day Emily was practicing her fast, and last Sunday we had some really delicious scones, and so I was talking to her about these excellent scones, and she just looked at me with this look, and you probably know that look, this look of how dare you talk about something so delicious right now. When we fast, most of us, at some point in the process, become a little grumpy or irritable or hangry. Because deep within, there's usually something we're holding on to we're not even aware of. A sense of need for control, or perhaps what's deep within is a sense that we have been slighted and God owes us, or maybe what's within is a sense of pride and arrogance, and we've never allowed it to come out because we're told to stuff it down and be humble. But when we're fasting, we are made broken for a little while. And in that brokenness, God brings to the surface all kinds of sin that we don't even know are there. And so when we practice a rhythm of fasting, a regular habit in our life, whatever that looks like for you, this rhythm of fasting invites us to offer ourselves before the Lord and experience from Him an awareness of our sin. Say, God, you alone can cleanse me and make me whole. You alone can remove these desires that are unrightly ordered. You alone can fix what is broken. And it will not happen instantaneously most of the time. And it will not happen pretty quickly. You see, fasting to become more like Jesus and grow in holiness, to let go of those sinful areas we've been holding on to, takes a long and consistent pattern. Because sin is deep within all of our DNA, our very bones are filled in every part of us. There is sin and we will never fully be rid of it, this side of Christ's return. But to walk with Jesus is to offer ourselves and grow each day more and more like him. And when we fail to draw near to the one who gives grace, and when we succeed to remember it's only by his grace and not our doing. We fast to offer ourselves to God and then in turn also to grow in holiness. But a third reason we fast is a lot like that human antenna. In many ways, fasting actually amplifies our ability to hear what God is saying and in some really confusing mystery, fasting actually amplifies the prayers we offer to God and the way he hears them from us. Now, 
don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating that fasting is like a magic genie, and if you just fast, God will give you whatever you want. But as fasting realigns your heart to be in accordance with the will of God, God has promised that when we pray in accordance with his will, he answers it. And so fasting has this power that as it shapes who we are to be more in accord with God, God responds to our prayers in ways we previously had not expected. So there is a rhythm of fasting, and there is a response of fasting. Throughout most of history, in great times of need and crisis, fasts have been called and declared as an invitation to return to God in the hopes that maybe, maybe he would break through and spare his people. Perhaps you know the story of Esther, where she finds out that there is genocide about to take place and all the Jewish people are going to be wiped out. And so she commands everybody for three days to fast, to join her in crying out to God. And God works in mysterious ways, and he rescues all the people of God. Today we're going to begin in the book of Joel, if you'd like to follow along, Joel chapter 2, it's on page 956 of the Blue Bibles in front of you, or along the walls upstairs. Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. The Lord relents over disaster. When we are in a place where disaster seems imminent, where crisis is all around, where we look and say we have no possible answer to this problem, for some reason God has said that when we fast and we return to him with our whole heart and we come back before him broken and contrite and humble, God, you alone can do this. When we do that, he relents from disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the con congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the minister to the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? See, in a time of crisis and despair, desperate for the Lord, in Scripture they were called to call a fast. Come before the Lord. Give yourselves, weep and cry out, and maybe he will spare his people. Because he's been faithful to do it before, why not do it again? See, prayer and fasting as disciplines and practices we can choose to embrace go hand in hand. When we fast and forget to pray, the fast doesn't do a lot. 
But when we fast and we pray, that prayer is a conversation with God. But it's also communion with God. We learn in that prayer and in that moment of weakness how to speak to God and with Him and how to listen for His voice to come back and speak to us. We learn how to commune with Him that in all of our disaster and grief and pain and sorrow, we can find a good God in the midst of our pain anyway. We learn that it is enough to just be with God. Whatever this life may bring. And by fasting, we learn to begin to listen to God and know the plans that he has for us. To know the things he's prepared and the direction he's going. And by fasting with prayer, we begin to hear him clearly. Like those TV signals or radio waves, God is speaking all the time. God is not silent, he is not absent, he has not removed himself from us. Radio waves here in this room are all around, they're here, but we are not tuned in to receive what is around us all the time. In some mysterious way, when we fast, God fine-tunes that little dial in our heart to hear a little more clearly what he's saying. To begin to receive as he's speaking sometimes in the big and grandiose moments where he spares a whole people from genocide. And sometimes in the small, still voice, the whisper that comes in a time of trouble and a time of need. When we fast as a rhythm, we learn in a time of need to fast in response. God, will you move? And here's the beautiful thing about it. If we fast and we pray and our prayers are not answered the way we expect, God is still faithful and still shows up and honors our pursuit of him because he is always pursuing us more. He is always running towards us more than we can ever run towards him. So by fasting and prayer, we simply stop running and say, here I am in this moment and in this need and in this reality. We allow ourselves to experience a good God in all things. We're going to jump into the New Testament for a moment. Acts chapter 13. If you're not familiar with the book of Acts, here we're going to be reading on page 1219 if you're in those blue Bibles. The book of Acts is the acts of Jesus through his church after he ascends into heaven the way in which Jesus is continuing to move in the world through the hands of his church and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the book of Acts, there's all kinds of problems that arise for the people of God. All kinds of times where they suffer persecution and death, where they're imprisoned, where things get really bad. And God continues to show up and to be good. Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. If you remember Saul, he was the one who used to kill Christians and throw them in prison and hated Christians until Jesus met him and transformed him and made him someone new. And Saul, later called Paul, becomes a missionary who goes out and shares with everybody this really good news of who God is. 
while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I love this because the church was gathered and they were worshiping and they were also fasting. This was a rhythm of their life, something they did. And in their fasting, they heard the Lord speak, these two men, I have a plan for them. Set them apart. Another way of of reading set apart is consecrate or make them holy. That is, devote them unto the work that I have prepared. I have something for them to do. In verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I think it's no coincidence that it's as they're fasting, God speaks, and it's through fasting, they then anoint them to go and do the work God has called. See, oftentimes the work God is doing in us and the work he's doing through us requires a power that does not come from us. A power of the Holy Spirit to speak into places of pain and sorrow and sadness we cannot fix on our own. And what we see with Saul and with Barnabas is that the ministry before them becomes incredibly difficult. And they needed the whole church to say, God, would you make these two the ones set apart and able to do your work? The laying on of hands was often a means by which they would set apart and consecrate and anoint certain individuals, go with our blessing and our prayers, that we will intercede on your behalf and you will do this work for us and for the Lord. Paul and Barnabas, they go out, they begin this ministry, they're preaching and proclaiming God's goodness. Great things are happening and not everybody loves it. Jump ahead to chapter 14. Beginning in verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Imagine being sent off by the point. We bless you with our prayers. Go and do the work God has called you to do. And then you get there, and they stone you to death. Where were you, God? Whoops. Sorry about that, Saul. Better luck next time. Presume, or supposing he's dead, they drag him out of the city. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. He gets up miraculously he's okay he goes on from this city someplace else when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God I love this story I've never been stoned to death. Anybody in here in that case or category? I've never been run out of a city where people are literally trying to kill me. And they go to a new city and there they do this work of God and people come to follow Jesus and to learn his truth and to walk in his way and to believe all of this promise we have and the good news. And when their work there is done, so let's go back to the place that wanted to kill us. That seems like a good idea. I believe 
that the only way we go back to these hard places, to those who are our enemies, to those who want to persecute us, the only way we learn to love our enemy as Christ loves us, to be willing to give up ourselves for him, is when we draw near to God. And I believe it's no coincidence that they fasted and they prayed and then they sent them off. Go and do the work God has for you. And I wonder if the strength they had to love their enemies and to return to the people who attempted to kill them came from the very prayers of those who fasted and said, God, would you use them for great purposes? Catch what happens next. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Again, now as disciples are being made and people are coming to know this truth and this goodness and to walk in this way and to live in this gospel, they appoint elders, another way of describing pastors throughout Scripture. And they, they appoint pastors. You will be the ones to continue to lead these people. And how do we equip you to do that? With prayer and with fasting. The same way that Paul and Barnabas were equipped to go out and do their work. When we pray, in some mysterious way, we learn to hear God's voice more. And in turn, we learn also to pray in accordance with his will, that he hears our voice and our plea more. Now, I'm not going to say, and I will never say, that because you fasted, God acted, or because you didn't fast, God didn't act. But it seems in Scripture there is a correlation often between the two. And so I invite you to begin to practice a rhythm of fasting. To set aside a time, a day, a, a meal, a season, whatever. To say, God, I'm entering into this place because I want to draw near to you. Because I want to learn to be with you and to hear from you. And I also want my prayers to be heard by you. And when we create a rhythm of fasting regularly, God's voice becomes more finely tuned. And we can hear that sweet sound. The sound that says how much he loves you, how far he has gone for you, how much he is forgiving you, how you are made new. And he's not finished with you yet. And as long as we continue to have breath in our lungs, he invites every one of us to be a part of the work that he is doing. To go into this world and to love our enemies. To pray for those who persecute us. To be the ones with the boldness to say, you have wronged me. But I've been forgiven much. So I too will forgive much. And when we pray and when we fast, God hears our prayers. So if you find yourself stuck in this season of life, not really sure what's next, maybe the place to start is fasting. Maybe for a little bit, maybe for an extended period, maybe you gather your friends and family and say, will you fast with me? And together, who knows, maybe the Lord will move. Will you pray with me? God, we desire 
that in every way we would lift holy hands and pray. That we would return to you with our whole heart. And with fasting would we consecrate ourselves and say you alone are worthy and you are good, especially in the times that are bad. God, teach us to receive what you are saying, to listen for your voice in the still small whisper and in the big mighty waves and wind. God, may we know that you are good, that you are for us, that you are slow to anger and abounding in mercy. In steadfast love, you desire to relent from disaster. God, teach us to hunger and to thirst, to empty our stomachs that we may be filled in our hearts, that we may know that you are God. We are not. And in all things, Lord, it will be okay. So now, Lord, together with one voice we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we continue our worship today, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. If you call this church your home and you came prepared to give today, we believe that when we give, we partner with the work God is doing. We join in his work in sharing this good news of his love and his grace with our community. And so when we give, we get to say, God, let every part of me, even my finances, be used for your kingdom. And so if you call this church your home and you came prepared to give and you prefer to do so with cash or check, You can place it in an envelope and in the black boxes by the walls or on the walls as you exit. If you filled out one of those teal cards that says connect with a way that we can pray with you, a way we can connect with you, a way we can encourage you this week, you can place that in those boxes as well. And if you call this church your home and came prepared to give today but preferred to do so online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love because we already have it. Thank you. Ian, are you in here? There you are. Come on up here for a moment, Ian. Some of you who've been using the Connect Group content that we put out each week based on the sermons, uh, maybe you've noticed that some of the Connect Group content has been written by Mr. Ian, and you're like, who's that mysterious Ian? Surprise! This is him. Uh, And for those of you who have not been using the Connect Group content, you had no idea that was out there. Hey, this is Ian. Ian is a new intern who's serving here at The Point. He's a Johnson uh, University student, and uh, he's working with Emily on some communication stuff. So uh, if you haven't met Ian, today's a good day to do so. And if you, like Ian, are fairly new to The Point, uh, and you would like to stick around today after church, even if you did not RSVP, hopefully we'll have enough food. I'll just pray that God multiplies it if need be. But um, we plan for extra, so if you are new and would like to hang out with me and get to know me a little bit, I would love to get to know you. We will be in the tap room, which is, you can go through this door and around the corner up the stairs, or you just follow the signs for tap room, or stick around here and I'll show you where the food's at, okay? 
Ian, thank you very much. And he's going to be joining us for lunch, so you can meet Ian too at that point. Now, every week we invite people to text in questions, and I do my best to not sound ridiculous as I respond. Emily, what questions came in today? Wait, I think first we should all like, yay, Ian, or something. You know, yeah. like, yay, Ian! <laughs> Woo! Okay, now there are three questions. First question. Can you fast too long or too often? More specifically, what if you lose that spiritual spark you felt at the beginning, no matter how hard you try to press into God? That's a great question. Uh, and I'm going to separate it into two separate things. When you fast, you will not always feel a spiritual spark. It's not like this magic on and off switch where, oh, I'm fasting, now God is near and close. But it is a practice that continues to work in us even when we don't feel anything special. So I would say if you're not feeling God as you fast, that's okay. Keep spending time in prayer, in his word, keep drawing near to him, and he'll make himself known, I, I promise. And to the other part, can you fast too often or too much or too long? Yes, you probably can. Now, it used to be commonplace that for 40 days in a row, the church would fast from sun up until sundown. And so you could do that for 40 days and be just fine. You're still eating and consuming something. Uh, if you're doing a complete fast where you're eating nothing, there's a whole lot of things to consider as to when do you go back to eating. And ultimately, I would say, if you're not yet in a rhythm of fasting a little bit every week, don't try to do any big fast. Remember, babies have to learn to crawl before they learn to stand, before they learn to walk, and before they learn to run. Don't assume you're ready to run a marathon if you've never put on running shoes, okay? Take your time. So um, if you are doing a longer fast, there's a bunch of good reading out there about how long is too long. And through Scripture, we do see that Jesus himself and a couple others did 40-day fasts, so it's possible to do a 40-day fast. I've never tried, and I am not currently in a stage where I'm willing to try at the <laughs> moment, unless God says otherwise. So. Very clearly. You'd have to be, like, very clear about that probably, yeah. Okay, next question. How do we disciple to people who have been hurt by religious people or religious leaders? I think for a long time the church culture has said that to to make disciples means that the burden of convincing or coercing or converting them is on us. And so often we think that making disciples like, I got to take you to coffee and I got to tell you about Jesus and I got to get you to believe and I got to do all this stuff. And that's exhausting uh, and rarely does it work. And so if you have friends or family or neighbors or people in your life who've been burned by the church and you're like, how do I just share this good news with them? Maybe let them know that you love and follow Jesus, and then just don't be a jerk to them. And maybe just be normal around them, and as you're practicing these things, and you're fasting, and you're praying on your own, maybe pray specifically for that person for an opportunity to show them God's love in your actions, and also with your words. And don't feel any burden or any pressure to make them a disciple, because you will always fail. Jesus alone makes disciples. We just help point people to him. So that's what I'll encourage you in. Good advice. Uh, I like, be normal, don't be a jerk. Yeah. Okay. I mean, as normal Order. as you are. That's okay. Some of y'all like me are really weird to begin with, and so that's, that's fine. Be as normal as you are, all right? Um, this person says, my pastor wants to know who is your favorite pastor in Connecticut. My favorite pastor in Connecticut would be Brad Kenor. He was a mentor of mine for 
eight, nine years, and now he's in Connecticut. And I'm guessing this would be Chris. She's a part of the Point family and then temporarily took a job in Connecticut. So she's been up there for a while. (laughs) These texts are as anonymous as you let them be. Yeah. (laughs) When I know that you're living in Connecticut, I mean, there you go. Okay, last one is not a question. Someone says, uh, please bring the cat to church. I I mean, I think I'm going to boldly say, no way. (laughs) I'm not a cat person. Tyler's in the back smiling. He might feel differently. (laughs) I'm not a cat person and I'm allergic to cats, but let me just tell you, during COVID, when we were live streaming out of Emily's apartment and Ralph was a little baby cat and he was throwing up on the other side of the camera as I'm trying to preach, there uh, there's couple, an affinity here. Now I've connected with Ralph. A couple Sundays, you just see a tail go across yeah, the live stream. across my legs. So yeah, if you want to bring Ralph... Uh, I don't. I know you don't. <laughs> Tyler would love to, but uh, alas. Well... As always, you can text in your questions every week, whether they're silly or serious, uh, really difficult or really simple. We welcome them all, and every question's a good question. Uh, If you text in a question later this week, I'll do my best to respond either online or next Sunday. If you are brand new or newer, please stick around. I'd love to have a meal with you. And for everybody else, I also would love to have a meal with you, but not today, okay? Receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.